Good morning. Welcome to the Lord's house. We would like for you to stand with us and let's sing together. Church, how's everyone doing? Hey, aren't you incredibly happy for the change that Jesus has made in our lives? Man, it, it truly is an eternal difference. 
And, and, and every single one of us in this room, there's a personal change that happened. And, 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 and Jesus knows what that was. But the very fact that all of us can meet right now and ser- sincerely say that our love is his, our life is his, our peace is his, we can celebrate that with one another. I'm so thankful for that. And so I'm so happy that you're here this morning. So thankful that God has brought us back here to this place as Kavanaugh Church. And I just want to give him all the praise right now. So let's give the Lord a hand. It's good. Right now, I'm going to ask you to bow your heads and we're just going to ask for God's anointing on our services today. Let's pray. Lord, I'm so thankful for the message of the cross, what you've done for us. I'm so thankful for your goodness. Your goodness is not determined by what you have done and what you have yet to do. It's just by just who you are. And I'm so thankful for that today. I'm so thankful for you saving my soul and for the personal changes that you made here in this man's heart. And Lord, I just pray for that that same change here today because I know there might be someone here today that needs that change, that needs that touch, that needs that hope instilled in their lives. And I pray that they see that change. Pray that they see and experience your love in the greatest way possible. And as my pastor comes and preaches an awesome message this morning, I pray that you touch their hearts and you make, you make broken people whole. In your name, amen. Let's continue to worship.
praise the Lord. I hope I can get through this because I get choked up. <laughs> Think about God's grace. I'm sure that most of you know about a year and a half ago I was in an accident and it, I was injured pretty severely and I probably should not have even survived. But I know, I know that God has planned Psalms 27 1 says that the Lord is the strength of my life. And I believe that that is true. I believe in miracles. We have already seen miracle after miracle in this journey. Shortly after the accident, I couldn't do this. And my legs wouldn't move, but now I'm getting some movement back in them. And one of these days, I will walk again. God is good to us. And I have to say thank you to this church for all the love and support and the prayers. You wouldn't believe how many cards and letters we've received over the past year and a half that tell us that people are praying for us, giving us words of encouragement, and, and just helping us get through the weeks. And I just want you to know that I love you all for that. Kevin Hall is the best church there ever could be. And I love you all. When I think about uh, miracles, I think about uh, all that he has done for me in the last year and a half. The greatest miracle in my life happened when I was just a young boy. When I accepted Christ into my heart, he forgave me of my sins. And I thank him for that. And I just, I just love you all and thank you. It's, it's good to be back with the team. I thank you. Thank you all. Praise the Lord.
special blessing on each and every person that is here today, that is with us today, whether they're here or, or listening online. God, I pray that you would just touch each and every person. I pray as Brother Will brings the message, Lord, that you would just open our hearts because I know, I know there is someone here in need of a miracle. I don't know that the praise team's ever sounded so good, huh? Man, let's give them a big hand. Appreciate them today. And uh, it, is, it is a special, special day. So, so good to have Ron and Sandy back up here. Man, what a blessing. Amen? What a blessing from the Lord. Wow. I'm preaching a series through the book of Joshua and I don't know if you've gotten into it, but man, I just love this book of Joshua and the sermons we've been talking about and the scriptures we've been seeing. Let me tell you, today's a tough one. So will you stick with me? Will you stick with me? Let me introduce this subject with a story that happened in the early 80s. Uh, I was at Bible College at what was then Hillsdale, now Randall University, a uh, pretty small campus. We probably had 350, 400 students. I'll, I'll never forget the Monday morning when the then president of Hillsdale uh, took the platform, Don Elkins, and here's what he said. There's sin in the camp. Well, let me tell you, that got our attention right there, right? And as the story was unfolded, there was a young lady uh, who had broken the rules big time. Now, when we went to Hillsdale back then, we had to sign this document that we were going to live by certain rules. She blew those rules away, and over the weekend, she really got herself into a pickle, and she was caught by the president, Don Elkins. And so he stood before us, and he said, there's sin in the camp. Well, let me tell you, that changed everything on campus for many of us, and that really became a catchword or a little cliche that we really started making fun of. Everything became sin in the camp. So if you broke line in the cafeteria and cut in front of somebody, guess what that was? Sin in the camp. If you broke curfew and didn't make it in when curfew happened at 10.30 at night, can y'all believe that? 10.30? If you, if you came in at 10.35, guess what? Sin in the camp. And so it kind of became just a, a fun thing for us, and it became funny. That's the title of my message today, Sin in the Camp. But can I tell you, it's not a joke. And it's no laughing matter. Because literally in Joshua chapter 7, there was sin in the camp. You can't sin in secret. 
And that really is the underlying theme of this chapter and my message today. You never sin in secret because someone always sees what you do even when you don't think anybody else has seen. Somebody has. Achan learned this lesson the hard way. This is the story of one man's sin that brought the entire nation of Israel into terrible defeat. Last week, I introduced my message on Joshua chapter 6 by saying that the story in Joshua chapter 6 is one of the most well-known stories of the Bible. It's when Joshua went against the city of Jericho. And what happened? The walls came up. We all know that story. They even wrote a song about it. If Joshua chapter 6 is one of the most famous stories in the Bible, then this story in Joshua chapter 7 is one of the least known stories in the Bible. Yet these stories are intimately connected. If Joshua chapter 6 is the thrill of victory, then Joshua chapter 7 is the agony of defeat. Now, we like to hear more about victory than we do defeat. Most of you Arkansas people had a big smile on your face when you walked in here today, you know, uh, because as Grant Morgan says, we own the Texas teams now, because huh? <laughs> they've literally beat all these teams from Texas. It's a lot more fun when you're winning than when you're losing. We all like to hear about victory, but we don't like to hear about defeat. But you know what? These two stories occur side by side. You can't pick and choose the good one over the bad one. So we have to look at Joshua chapter 7 today. Now here are two really interesting facts about what happened in Joshua chapter 7. Fact number one, this is the only defeat that the Jews suffered as they conquered Canaan land. In all of the victories they had, this is the only defeat. Second fact is, this is the only recorded loss of life in any of the battles that they fought. So let's begin and see how all this happened, but let's back up to chapter 6, the last verse, verse 27. So the Lord was with Joshua, and his fame spread throughout all of the land. Now, after a verse like that, you would expect chapter 7 to begin by saying, so Joshua and his people rolled from victory to victory. And why not? I mean, Jericho was the chief Canaanite city. When you crossed the Jordan River, there it was, a fortified city with walls that went up to the heavens. And if a city of Jericho's stature could be defeated by Joshua, there is not another single city or town or dominion in the Canaanite territory that could not be conquered by Joshua. He's the man, according to this verse, and God was with him. But let's just see what happens. Let's go to chapter 7, verse number 2. Now, Joshua sent men from Jericho up to Ai, which is near Beth-Avon, to the east of Bethel, and told them, go up and spy out the region. So the men went up and they spied out Ai. Two times in that verse, it tells us they went up because physically that's what they were doing. Uh, Jericho was way down south near the Jordan River, close to the Dead Sea. Ai was north and west, so literally they are going up to Ai. 
Now let's read on the next verse. When they returned to Joshua, these spies said, Not all the army will have to go up against Ai. Just send two or three thousand men to take it, and do not weary the whole army. For just a few people live there. Now, from a military standpoint, that that made a whole lot of sense because Ai is not some big fortified city like Jericho. It's, It's more like a small outpost. And these spies went up there and they took a look and they came back and said, you know what, this is no big deal. We know what we did against Jericho. I mean, we defeated Jericho. The walls came tumbling down and we went in and defeated the city. And if we did that to Jericho, AI ain't nothing. But you know what they're doing? They're putting it all on them. Look what we did. We conquered that city. We had that great victory. Literally, they are taking God out of the equation. And if you go back and read Joshua chapter 6 again, I mean, it's clear as, as day. The reason they won is because God was with them. And so what does they say to Joshua? They say, General, it's not a big deal, so let's just send the JV team up there. I mean, the varsity guy's got a big workout against Jericho. This is no big deal. Let's send the second team up there and let them have a little bit of action. I don't know if that's good thinking or not, because let's see what happened. Chapter 7, verses 4 and 5. So about 3,000 went up, but they were routed by the men of Ai, who killed 36 of them. They chased the Israelites from the city gate as far as the stone quarries and struck them down on the slopes. At this, the hearts of the people melted in fear and became like water. Isn't that an interesting phrase? Their hearts melted in fear and started dripping like water. Now, this is not just a defeat. It's a whooping. They put a whipping on them. What should have been an easy victory turned out to be a total disaster. And now what do they have to deal with? 36 funerals. 36 grieving families. And the people, they were melting in fear. Oh, what a difference a day makes. How in the world could something like this happen? Having crossed the impossible river and having conquered the impossible city, how in the world could they have been routed at Ai? When word of this shocking event came to General Joshua, notice what happens. See what he does, verse 6. Then Joshua tore his clothes. He fell face down to the ground before the ark of the Lord remaining there till evening. The elders of Israel did the same thing, and they even sprinkled dust on their heads because something had gone terribly wrong. God had promised to be with these people wherever they went. God had promised to conquer Canaan land. God had promised to give them victory, but somehow the people of God had lost their way. And at this point in the story, nobody really knows what had happened. Only God. Nobody was pointing a finger at Achan. Even Joshua didn't know about Achan taking the loot for himself. So let me just stop right here and do a quick little time out. 
The key to understanding this story is going back and rereading the instructions that God gave to Joshua, who then gave to the people before they went into Jericho. And here was the instruction from God via Joshua. When we go into the city, the walls are going to come tumbling down. You go in, do hand-to-hand combat, and annihilate every living creature in that city. No one is to escape. The only people who are going to walk out of there is Miss Rahab and everyone in her house. Everything else that is alive is to be destroyed. And all of the loot, all the silver, all the gold, all the precious stones, you don't even touch it. We're going to gather all of that up and put it in the treasury of the Lord's house. Everything else is going to be burned. Now, I don't know how many fighting men Israel had. Someone suggested maybe as many as 500,000. I don't know if it was that many, but it was thousands of men involved in the attack. And out of those thousands of warriors, only one man violated God's order. And although Joshua doesn't know it yet, Achan's greed led to the defeat of Israel up at Ai. One man disobeyed, that's why they were having 36 funerals. One man disobeyed, and that's why the army was routed in Ai. One man disobeyed, and that's why the nation was put to shame. Now, before I get into the points of application, I want you to see two things because it really tells us the whole story in a nutshell. Let's look at how this chapter begins and then how it ends. Let me go to chapter 7, verse 1. Here's what it says. The Lord's anger burned against Israel and all of Israel. So in that verse, you have the anger of God, the wrath of God. God's upset. Can I tell you something? You don't want God mad at you, but God is plenty mad in verse 1. His anger is tilted towards Israel. Now let's see how the chapter ends, verse 26. The Lord turned from his fierce anger. Another word for that that is used in some of the older translations, God relented from his anger. In verse 1, God is plenty mad. By verse 26... God's anger has left. So look at me. Everybody look at me. This is a message about the wrath of God. Now, I don't always enjoy preaching about the wrath of God because some of you are going to start squirming and some of you are going to post bad things about me on Facebook. Can't believe my preacher said that. I don't like preaching about the wrath of God always, but you know what? Every once in a while, we need to be reminded about the wrath of God. We need sermons like this. And this sermon is not just for your neighbor. This sermon is for you. It's for me. But not only is this story about the wrath of God, it's also about the mercy of God. Hey, can I get an amen for that? Remember how it begins and how it ends? It's not only a sermon about the anger of God, it's a sermon about the grace of God. And you know what? We need to hear sermons like this more often. So let's learn from this passage of Scripture. Five things I want you to take home with you. Number one, great victory often leads to great temptation. 
Great victory often leads to great temptation and destruction. If you read the first few verses of Joshua 7, it is clear that nobody expected the defeat at Ai. Compared to Jericho, Ai should have been easy pickings, man. But it wasn't. An easy victory turns into a shameful defeat. And you know what? Really, that shouldn't surprise us because we've all experienced this. We've all been on the mountaintop when there was victory and everything was great and our relationship with God was good and we're just, we're just kind of running through life. Everything's awesome. And then all of a sudden, the very next day, we've stepped off the mountaintop and we're way down in the valley. A.W. Pink wrote about that. I, I want to read his words to you. Here's what he says. When the Lord is pleased to exercise his power in the saving of souls, preaching appears to be an easy matter. And the minister is tempted to spend less time and labor in preparation of his sermons. Now, not everybody in the room understands that because you're not a preacher and you don't write sermons every week. But I know exactly what that's saying. Because sometimes when things really go good, you think, man, I really preached a humdinger today. That was awesome. I really did great today. But you know what? It's not me doing it. It's not my great mind or ingenuity or my, my ability to present things to you. It's the Holy Spirit of God working. When things go good, it's God. And when I start thinking, hey... This is Will Harmon. Will Harmon can do this. Brother, let me tell you, you don't want to be in a service when I think that because it all starts falling apart. But here's what you can relate to. Pink went on to say, and when God grants a saint like you victory over some powerful lust, he is apt to feel there is less need to pray so earnestly. But such a spirit is disastrous. In the Lord's work, you know what? It's better to feel weak than it is to feel strong. At least in your weakness, you know you need the Lord. And for the person who thinks he's standing in his own power and in his own strength, there is going to be a shameful fall to that. Because when you are on the mountaintop, you need God more than when you're down in the valley. Because if you're on the mountaintop and you think you got there by yourself, brother, let me tell you, the ledge is right here. And you're about to have a great fall. You need God. Why? Because great victory often leads to great temptation. And this is exactly where Israel was. Remember what the spies said? We did such a great job taking Jericho. Let's just send the JV team up there to take Ai. Wow. Lesson number two, your sin always hurts other people. That's a clear point in Joshua chapter 7, verse 1. It says, but the Israelites were unfaithful. Verse 11 goes on to say, Israel has sinned. But notice the elaboration in verse 11. Israel has sinned. They have taken some of the devoted things. They have stolen. They have lied. They have put them with their own possessions. But you know what? It wasn't the whole nation that sinned. It was just one guy that sinned. Why in the world is the rest of the nation being drugged into this? They had nothing to do with it. 
Here's the bottom line. God had them all responsible. They were all responsible for one man's sin. Remember back in football or sports and, and one guy would mess up and everybody would have to run laps? Yeah, there it is. That's what it means to be a part of God's family. When one person sins, we all suffer the consequences of it. Why? Because you never commit a private sin. Because there are no such things as private sins. Every evil word, every evil deed, every evil thought hurts the people around you. That's a snapshot of this in the Old Testament. Let me show you a snapshot of it in the New Testament. That was Paul's whole point in 1 Corinthians chapter 5 when he told the church at Corinth, you are wrong in allowing that one man in your church to keep attending your church without any discipline. The one man he was talking about was the man who was sleeping with his father's wife. Y'all remember that story? There was a man in the church who was sleeping with his father's wife. And God tells them through Paul, you put that man out of the local assembly. He said to do that not only to bring this man to repentance, but also to protect the purity of the church. Listen to me, church. Sometimes we have to do hard things for the sake of the body of Christ. And it ain't tough when you confront sin like that. It, it ain't easy. It's tough. You go to somebody and say, hey, dude, you're not living right. You know what? The first thing, they're going to buck up to you and say, well, who are you to be talking to me about that? But we cannot allow open sin to go on in the family of faith because it destroys the fellowship of God's people. Let me turn it around and put it like this to you. Let's say you go to the doctor and uh, it's just a health exam. He's checking your health to see how you are. They do some x-rays. You come back into the room and he says, you know, everything looks good, but there's this one little spot I see. Let's, let's say it's on your lung. One little spot I see on your lung, it's kind of concerning to me. Now, it might not be anything, but you know what? It could be cancer. So I'm giving you the option right here. You can either ignore it and not do anything, or we can go and, and do some more tests. What do you want to do? What would you do, man? So let me tell you, if it is cancer and you ignore it, that cancer is probably nine times out of ten going to spread and kill you. That's what Paul is referring to in 1 Corinthians chapter 5 because he went on and told the church, a little yeast leavens the whole batch of dough. Now, I am no cook. I don't know anything about cooking. I burn toast in the morning. So, but I understand this. A little bit of sin spreads like yeast in a bowl of dough. And if you leave it alone, it's going to permeate into all of that dough. And if there is unconfessed sin in the church and we don't address it and we don't deal with it, it's going to affect the entire body of Christ. Now, you might think it was wrong or rude of Don Elkins to stand before the student body and say, there's sin in the camp and I had to go rescue one of my girls the other night. But I know what Don was doing. He was trying to purge the sin 
out of our campus and to stop something from starting that had already begun. Why? Because your sin always affects other people. Number three, God knows how to bring your sin to light. God can bring it out of the darkness and put it in the light. Here's a part of the irony of this story. Achan was a rich man. Achan didn't live in poverty. He lived in the tribe of Judah, the most prosperous tribe there was. He had children, oxen, donkeys, sheep, and he had a tent to live in. He came from this this big family that was prosperous. He took not because of poverty, he took because of greed. The rules had already been laid out back in chapter 6. It was clear. The soldiers were not to touch any of the loot that was found in Jericho. No trinkets, no souvenirs. You don't pick anything up for the little lady. Achan knew what God had commanded, but he chose to ignore it. And when he ignored God's commandment, it sealed his doom. Now, I'm not reading all of this story. I hope you go home and read chapter 7. But here's what God said to Joshua. Joshua, bring all of the people before me tomorrow. It's going to be a holy day set out for the Lord. And I am going to identify the sin that is in the camp. Tell the people, tomorrow, the guilty person is going to be pointed out. So Achan knew this was going to happen. Can you imagine the long day that Achan had that day? As the process of elimination went on, he knew they were coming closer and closer to his tent. And every footfall near his tent shook him. His nerves were shot. His guilt was rising. He felt the misery of a guilty man that was about to be pointed out. Man, you think he was sweating? The closest thing I have to identify with this is back when I was a kid and I got into bad trouble one day and my little mama said, you go to your room and I, and I want you to spend a few hours thinking about what you've done and when your daddy comes home, he's going to come in and deal with you, young man. Man, I think, yeah. And by the time your daddy gets in there, you just, oh, daddy, I'm sorry. Please don't beat me, daddy. Please don't kill me, Daddy. Daddy, I'll never do it again. (laughs) Alexandra McKay describes the torture that Achan felt. Listen to how he put it. He said, the rust of gold, like some satanic acid, ate into his soul, like some unspeakable torture. I think that long day for Achan illustrates the truth found in Proverbs chapter 13, verse 15, that says, the way of the transgressor is hard. And it is. So the Lord told Joshua, assemble the people. I'm going to point this guy out to you. All of the people were assembled by their tribes. And God said, the sin is in the tribe of Judah. And when the tribe of Judah came forward, they came forward by clans. And the Lord said, it is the Zerahites. Then the clan of the Zerahites came forward. And the Lord said, it is the family of Zimri. And the family of Zimri came forward. And the Lord said, 
It's aching. Don't you know it was quiet? God had already decreed punishment for this sin. Verse 15, whoever is caught with this devoted thing shall be destroyed by fire along with all that belongs to him. So you know what this is? This is a capital punishment offense. He was to be stoned to death. And then this extra caveat here, he is to be burned. This doesn't happen very much in the Old Testament. This is a severe case. God wants an example set of Achan. You stone him, his family, and you burn their corpses. And the reason is even given. He has violated the covenant of the Lord, and he has done an outrageous, other translations use the word despicable thing in Israel. Can I tell you something? God does not take sin lightly. And this is serious business with God. I want you to write one verse over this whole story. It's a verse that you need to take home. It's found in Numbers chapter 32, verse 23. Read this out loud with me, okay? Read it with me. Here we go. One, two, three. Be sure your sin will find you out. Be sure your sin will find you out. Angie and I love watching detective movies and shows and whodunit stuff. And, and we were watching Cold Case Files the other night. You ever watch that show, Cold, Cold Case Files? Here's a story that really happened in 1960, McAllen, Texas. This, this priest murdered a woman. She came to confession. He, he strangled her, took her to the, 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 the priest lodging house and raped her and killed her, dumped her body in, into this uh, waterway down in McAllen, Texas. But he was never convicted of it. He was questioned about it, but never convicted of it. They sent the priest off to this uh, abbey up in Missouri, and he lived for a few years, and then got out of the, the Catholic Church and got married, had kids, and had grandkids. Fifty years later, the Texas Rangers pulled this cold case out, and they started reexamining it. And they found all this evidence that pointed right back to this priest, and let me tell you something. Can I tell you? Look at me. You don't mess with the Texas Rangers. <laughs> now, this is not the baseball team, Texas Rangers. This is the real Texas Rangers. They went to Phoenix, Arizona, and apprehended this 85-year-old man and drug him back down to McAllen, Texas. They put him on trial and found him guilty for the murder of that young lady. Now, he had lived for 50-plus years thinking he was scot-free, never going to be caught. Can I tell you, be sure. Be sure what? Your sins are going to find you out. God knows how to bring your sin out of darkness into light. And, and, but don't think, don't think nobody's ever going to know because one day you're going to have to stand before the one who saw it all, and that is God. Number four, I've given you enough bad news. Here's some good news. Are you still with me? Okay, hang in here because I'm almost done. Number four, honest confession brings glory to God. When Achan stood before Joshua, the great commander looked at him and said, My son, give glory to the Lord, the God of Israel, and honor him. Tell me what you have done and don't hide anything from me. True confession is good for the soul. 
Why? Because it relieves you from the burden of your sin. It releases all of that sin that is inside of you. And give Achan this much credit. He told the truth. He confessed. You might say, well, his back was against the wall. What option did he have? Well, you know what? He could, he could have done what most of us would have done. I have no idea. I don't know how that stuff got in my tent. Somebody must have put it in there. I didn't do it. He confessed. You want to hear his confession? It's found in verses 20 and 21. It's true. I have sinned against the Lord, the God of Israel. And this is exactly what I've done. When I saw the plunder in the plunder a beautiful robe from Babylonia... 200 shekels of silver and a bar of gold weighing 50 shekels. I coveted them and I took them. They are hidden in the ground inside my tent and the silver is buried underneath. I want you to notice those verbs that I had underlined. He said, I saw, I coveted, I took. There's a natural progression here. What the eye beholds, the heart covets. And what the heart covets the hand takes. I did it. But he confessed. Honest confession glorifies God. Because God is holy. God can't dwell where sin is enshrined. And when we say, I have sinned, we open the door not only to God's forgiveness, but to all the blessings. And we remove the barrier that stands between us and God. So friend, when there is sin in your life, what you need to do is confess. I love Proverbs 28, 13. He who covers his sin will not prosper, but whoever confesses and forsakes them will have what? This is not only a sermon about wrath, it's also a sermon about mercy. And all you have to do is confess and you're going to have God's mercy. I told the first service, I had a whole other paragraph here, but this sermon was really long, and I started whacking stuff out of it. Some of y'all have even asked me since then, well, you went long first service, didn't you? Yeah, I did, so aren't you glad I didn't leave all this other stuff in here? But let me just throw this out, because it's an interesting question. I cut it out of my sermon, but I'm just going to throw it out to you. The question arises from a lot of theologians, what happened to old Achan? Yes, he sinned. Yes, he was guilty. But what did he do? He confessed. So where does that leave him in standing with God? Today, is he in hell or is he in heaven? I don't know the answer to that, but you need to be thinking about that, don't you? And it does bring up this last point that we want to observe before we close today. Number five, sin always brings consequences that you have to face. You can shoot an arrow into the sky. Have you ever done that? Have you ever gone out in the backyard and just shot an arrow straight up, see where it land? I did that once, and then I took off running. I told the first service, Ray Copeland used to do that with his little brother David there, but he wouldn't let David run. He would shoot the arrow, and he'd take off. And the arrow actually hit David in the head one time, all right? So... Anyway, you can shoot an arrow up into the sky 
and repent when it's going up. You can repent all you want to repent. But sooner or later, that arrow is going to flip over and it's going to come down. And it could hit somebody. Repentance removes the guilt of my sin. Amen. Thank you, Jesus. Repentance removes the guilt of my sin, but it does not remove every consequence of my sin. I've got to deal with it. I've got to pay for it. Now, you've all heard of of someone who has committed a, a, a really bad sin like murder or rape, and they're in prison, maybe on death row, and, and, and they repent. They get religion, okay? And they, they ask God to forgive them of their sins. And if that really happens, I say praise the Lord because we all need to be forgiven. Are you with me? But just because God forgives you of your sins does not alleviate or take you away from the consequences of what you have done. You've still got to pay for that. So we come to the end of the story. It's found in verse 24. Then Joshua, together with all Israel, took Achan, the son of Zerah, the silver, the robe, the gold bar, his sons, daughters, his cattle, his donkeys, his sheep, and his tent, and all that he had to the valley of Achor. Now, the valley of Achor has been given the name the valley of trouble. That's what Achor means, trouble. Joshua said, why have you brought all of this trouble on us? The Lord is going to bring trouble on you today. Then all Israel stoned him. And after they stoned the rest, that is his family, they burned them. Over Achan they heaped a large pile of rocks, which remains even to this day. Now if this seems harsh, perhaps it is because we have lost a sense of God's holiness. Do you remember what happened back in Acts chapter 5? Ananias and Sapphira came before the apostles one at a time and they lied to them. They lied to God. And because they lied to God, there were two graves dug in the churchyard that day. They fell over dead. What happened to Achan in the Old Testament is the counterpart to what happens to Ananias and Sapphira in the New Testament. And perhaps we have become so accustomed to making excuses and to saying it's no big deal and they shouldn't be punished and it's okay for this person that all of this seems a little extreme to us. But I want you to know Joshua knew what he was doing. He was obeying God. God didn't take any of this lightly. And the reason they piled all of these rocks on top of their bodies so that it would be a permanent reminder to everyone in Israel that God is not to be trifled with. You either take God seriously or you just walk away. Don't think that you can rewrite the rules to benefit yourself. You can't do that. Sin has consequences. And I don't care who you blame or what excuse you give. If you've done something wrong, you're going to have to pay the price for it. 
You know what, parents? It, it would be good to be teaching our kids that from an early age, but that's another sermon. Uh, let me just stop right there because you're getting a little ticked off at me. Let, let me have to tell you how all this ends. Here's what happens next. In Joshua chapter 8, the Jews go back up to Ai and they conquer it. And then they burn it to the ground. But this time God says, you can keep all the loot. It's yours. Which means if Achan had not been so greedy, he could have had that pretty robe, all of that silver, and all that gold. He was just going to have to wait a couple of days. So write it down, friends. Satan is a liar. He buys your soul with counterfeit promises. He whispers into your ear, don't wait, go for the gusto. You deserve it, you need it. This is gonna make you happy. And then he says, don't worry, nobody's ever gonna know. But let me tell you, Satan is a liar. He lies, he cheats, he steals, and then he destroys your soul. Before you grab that forbidden fruit or before you try to hide that stolen loot, you need to remember that you never sin alone because you're never alone. God hears, God sees, God knows. Yeah, the story of Achan is a reminder about the wrath of God. It is. That's why we don't like to talk about it. But it's real. God's not easy on sin. But it's also a story about the mercy of God. Because God loves us so much, he's not going to leave us in our sin. He wants to deliver you today. So one final thought, and that's this. There's a little bit of aching in all of us. If you wonder where the gospel is in this story, just look at what happened. God's anger burned against Israel until that sin was paid for. And when Achan paid for his sin, God's mercy was there. Hold on to one key thought. Sin has got to be dealt with, and sin must be paid for. If God ignored sin, God would no longer be a holy God. Achan stands for the whole of the human race because we too have sinned we've tried to hide it we've tried to lie about it to cheat to try to cover it up we've broken our promises we've blamed others we have played the fool and our sin has found us out why because sin always finds us out and because of that you know what we deserve exactly what Achan got Look at me. God loves you. And God doesn't want you to die in your sin. And God loves you so much that he sent his only son, Jesus, to pay for your sin. And Ron, that is the greatest miracle there is. It's the miracle of salvation. Sin has got a hold on you. But praise God for Calvary. Praise God for Jesus. Praise God for the blood of the Lamb. Jesus can set you free today. Jesus can forgive your sin. You're facing the wrath of God. But you can have the mercy of God. 
And all you have to do is receive it. Isn't that a great gift? You just have to come and ask for it. Confess your sins, and Jesus is going to forgive you of your sins. Yes, it's a message of God's wrath, but it's also a message of God's grace. And I offer that grace to you today. It's free for the taking. One last thing. I read this story, and I think to myself, Will, you don't want to be that guy. Will, you don't want to be Achan. And what do I mean by that? I don't want to be the person who stops the flow of God's blessing on this fellowship. I don't want to be the reason God is not using and blessing Kavanaugh Church in the kingdom of God. But you know what? When there's sin in the camp, God ain't going to bless the camp. I've often wondered in ministry, and I've been doing this a long time, Gary, I've often wondered, you know, why, why is it that sometimes it feels like we're just hitting a brick wall? We're doing everything we know to do for the kingdom, and our church is not growing, and things aren't happening, and lives are not being changed. Why is it that my face is hitting that brick wall? Why is it that sometimes I'm taking two steps forward and three steps back? Now, sometimes I can identify what the problems are. But there are other times I, I don't know. I can tell you, I can remember, and for instance, years ago, man, our church had been doing great. And this is not here at Kavanaugh. It's somewhere else. Our church was doing great. Things were just, man, they were just super. God was blessing. The church was full. People were even sitting on the front row of the church. Bless God. We were packed to capacity. And then all of a sudden, people started drifting off, and it was half empty think, what in the world is going on? Until I find out that one of the leaders of my church is living in sin. And I mean, it was a bad sin. But after it was found out and after that person confessed their sins, guess what? The blessings of God came back. Can I tell you something? I don't want to be that guy. I don't want to be that guy who has to stand before God and God says to me, you're the reason I couldn't bless Kavanaugh Church. Don't be that guy. And bigger than that, I, I, don't, I don't want to be that guy for my family. Look at this story. Not only did Achan pay for his sin, his family paid for his sin. I don't know how old his kids were, but I see them as just little kids. And I see those little kids right before they got rocked that day, looking at their daddy and saying, Daddy, why'd you do it? Don't be that person. God has given you a great gift today. It's the gift of forgiveness, the gift of grace. Take it. Receive it, confess your sins, and live for God. Heavenly Father, I pray that you would do something awesome right now in this service. There are people here today who need to be forgiven of their sins. There are some who have never confessed Jesus as Lord of their life. I pray that today they would come and be saved. Lord, there are others of us, probably a whole lot of us, who need to just take care of some business with you. 
we've been allowing some things in our life that we shouldn't allow in there. We've been looking at some stuff we shouldn't be looking at. We've been, we've been hanging with some people we shouldn't be hanging with. We've been thinking some things we shouldn't think, doing some things we shouldn't do. And right now, your Holy Spirit is, is shining a light on those things in our life. Help us, dear Lord, just to come, confess it, get cleansed of it, and be forgiven. Lord, others of us have people in our circle of influence, our family, and we know they're not right with you. Lord, could, could we just be burdened enough today to come and pray for them that they be saved? Lord, have your way in our lives. Speak to us. Help us to respond in faith and come and pray. And I'll praise you for it in Jesus' name. Would you stand with heads bowed and eyes closed? Everybody stand. Praise team's going to sing. If God is speaking to your heart, come and join me. And don't be afraid to come. Hey, I'm here. And I'm praying. You can come and pray too. Still Lord, if there is any sin, in our, if there's anything that's building a wedge in our lives, separating us from you, Lord, help us to deal with that today. I love you, Jesus. Thank you for your grace. Thank you for the hard words in Scripture. And help us to be faithful to live for you. In Jesus' name we pray. And everybody said, amen. God bless you. You can be seated. Thanks for being here today and, and hanging with me, man. Y'all have done great. I, I preached a little longer than I normally do, but you know what? It, we needed this today. Our church needed to hear this. Yes, it's a message about the wrath of God, but it's a message about God's mercy and grace. Thank him for his grace. Amen? Amen. When you walk out, make sure you drop your offering in that black box. And I want to say thank you again for your faithfulness in giving. You know, when, when we went to the box instead of passing the offering plate because of COVID, I really was concerned our giving would go down, but it's increased. Thank you for your giving. And if you've made a commitment to our building program, thank you for making that commitment. Thank you for giving, and thank you for being faithful. We're about to be in that new building. I can foresee a day in the near future. 
and it's not very far off. And uh, could, you, could you tell today, this stage is getting a little bit small for our praise team. You know what they're about to have? 73 feet of stage. So might do a little dancing up there when they get up there. All right? Cool. So d- drop your offering off. Appreciate that. 6.30 tonight, tune in to Facebook Live. Uh, Stacy Chronister's got the lesson. Love to hear Stacy teach. Come back on Wednesday at 7 o'clock. We're going to have uh, classes and activities for all ages. Pray for one another. Pray for Miss Maisie Little. She went back to the hospital. Let's lift her up to the Lord. If you are a guest, stop by our Connect counter. Uh, we just want to get to know you, and uh, you can uh, ask any questions. We'll be honest and tell you the truth, all right? Hey, I love you. The staff loves you. But who loves you most? God does. Walk with him. You're dismissed.